Hey guys, I hope everyone is doing well and that your new year is off to a fantastic start. Uh, if you are a regular listener to the show, thank you so, so much for joining me for another episode. Um, I'm giving you a big, giant air hug right now, so I hope you feel it. <laughs> I appreciate you guys so much. Um, if you are a new listener to Crime Time Tea Time, thank you so much for stopping by, and I really hope you enjoy the episode. If you don't already know, you can also find me on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. So check me out if you can. Um, I think that's it for updates this week, guys. Short and sweet. So that being said, you know what time it is. If you are ready for a mind-blowing ride, sit back and buckle up. Because this is the story of the Richardson family murder. So, have you ever seen a picture of someone and the second you looked at it, you knew that you would love the person? Like, the first thought is, I bet this person is awesome and if I knew them, we would be super good friends? Well, that is the feeling I got when I first saw 42-year-old Mark and his wife, 48-year-old Deborah Richardson. Mark and Deborah were a happily married couple from a city called Medicine Hat in Alberta, Canada. Yes, that is the name of the city, and no, I am not lying. (laughs) In 2016, the population of Medicine Hat was a pinch over 63,000. And just for a visual, the city is like 50-ish or so miles north of Montana, just so you can visualize uh, where it is on the map. So Deborah and Mark had two kiddos. They had a 12-year-old Jasmine and 8-year-old Jacob. From the outside looking in, the Richardsons were a very well-rounded and well-adjusted family. They were one of those families that you just wanted to know and you just wanted to be around. Jasmine, their daughter especially, was a well-known, very sweet girl. She did very well in school, like all A's well in school, played sports, and was just a good kid. Around 1 p.m. on Sunday, April 23, 2006, there was a knock at the Richardson's front door. When no one answered, there was another knock, followed by a ring of the doorbell. Unfortunately, though, no one answered the door. The visitor was one of eight-year-old Jacob's friends. He had stopped by to play. Like any other kid that age looking for his buddy, he started peeking through the windows of the house to see if he could find Jacob or any other sign of life. Unfortunately for this little boy, he saw way more than what he was looking for. Through the basement window, he saw what he thought to be a dead body laying on the floor. As fast as he could, he ran home to tell his mom. His mom then immediately called for help. Authorities arrived and unfortunately confirmed what the boy had seen. The deceased bodies of Mark, Deborah, and Jacob Richardson were all found inside the home. The only person missing was 12-year-old Jasmine. Immediately, concern turned towards Jasmine's well-being. Remember, she was only 12 years old, so authorities were thinking that she had been kidnapped. During the investigation, all electronics from the Richardson's home were taken to be analyzed. 
It took detectives about 2.5 seconds to realize that 12-year-old Jasmine could potentially be playing a much larger role in the story than a kidnap victim. Within a day, it was discovered that 12-year-old Jasmine had been dating a 23... Did you hear me? 12-year-old Jasmine was dating a 23-year-old man named Jeremy Steinke. Jasmine had met, met Jeremy a year before at a concert when she was just 11. Let that soak in for a minute. Oh, where to start with Mr. Jeremy? Jeremy had all sorts of issues going on and unfortunately had nowhere near the type of childhood and upbringing that Jasmine did. He was bullied terribly in school. I guess by both the students and the freaking teachers. They would call him Stinky um, because of his last name. So just things like that. They were just very mean to him and he was bullied badly. His mom was also an alcoholic and her boyfriend, I guess, would beat the absolute snot out of Jeremy when he was a kid. I guess even when Jeremy was a very, very young boy, his mom would go on these benders and just leave him by himself for like days on end. Jeremy, just being a little boy, would be left with no one to care for him. Um, it's actually really sad to think about. So Jeremy grows up with this absolutely toxic environment um, where he has no home life and no friends. So you know, sometimes one will balance the other out, out, not to say either one is right, but you know, kids at school who are, or kids who are bullied at school might have a fantastic home life, um, or vice versa. Kids might, oh my gosh, what am I trying to say? Kids that don't have a good home life might have, you know, really solid friends to help balance it out. He had all strikes against him and both sides were miserable. So anyways, um, I'm not sure what word to use here, but by fate, I guess, Jasmine and Jeremy meet and very quickly fall in love with each other. Even though personally, I don't even think a 12-year-old can fall in love in that way. Um, but whatever, for lack of a better term or lack of simplicity, we're going to say they fell in love. As would any decent parents, Mark and Deborah Richardson forbid Jasmine to date Jeremy. Never mind the fact that he had his own issues he was dealing with. The bottom line is that Jasmine was 12 years old and shouldn't be dating anybody, especially not someone who was 23 years old and a grown man. Mark and, Mark and Deborah did their very, very best to keep Jasmine away from Jeremy. Unfortunately, though, they were up against something they could not control or compete with. Bum, 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 the internet. Despite thinking they were keeping the two away from each other, the couple was actually easily able to communicate through the internet. Jeremy had totally embraced this goth lifestyle, um, and as such, so did Jasmine. So the couple had accounts for multiple sites. The one they were most active on, though, was called VampireFreaks.com. And I hear this is still an active website today. Now, remember, this story took place in 2006, but it's up and running today as well. Or still, I should say. 
Anyhow, Jasmine's username was Runaway Devil, and she had lied to get access to the site, saying she was 15. Jeremy, of course, was also on the site and described himself as, quote, a gothic individual who believes in blood, destruction, guts, gore, and greed. Am I God's champion or Satan's angel? End quote. He also lists his interest as scarification, razors, pain, blood, and kinky fetishes. The most bizarre behavior from Jeremy, though, was that he believed and told people he was a 300-year-old werewolf and that he enjoyed the taste of blood. And I guess he even wore a vial of blood around his neck. Would love to know more about that. Like, whose blood was that? Like, where did that come from? Um, But regardless, yes, his necklace that he wore was a vial of blood. Jasmine listed her interests as bisexual, Wiccan, insane, nocturnal, and into kinky shit. She also said she idolized Jeffrey Dahmer and Marilyn Manson. This is just so strange to me. Having a child right around the same age group, I just cannot imagine this type of behavior. I do understand that some children develop quicker than others, if you will, um, but to list one of your interests as a or as kinky fetishes, like I, I honestly don't even think my kid would know what that meant, let alone list it as his favorite interest. You know. Anyway, I don't know. That trips me out, but. Um, And also, I want to throw this out there real quick. I have one quick public service announcement to share. Just because someone dresses gothic does not mean anything except for they dress gothic. (laughs) There was a group of kids in my high school who dressed goth. And although I didn't know all of them, I did know some of them. Um, and I am not kidding you when I say that at least the kids that I knew well, they were truly some of the most, or some of the nicest and most genuine, kind, caring, compassionate people in that school. And I mean that. Um, so anyways, maybe I don't dress that way myself, but clothes don't define who you are inside. Um, so I just don't want anyone coming after me saying that if you or thinking that I'm saying if you dress goth that, you know, there's something wrong with you. Because actually, I feel the total opposite of that. Anyways, just wanted to say that. Um, whatever. Okay, moving on. So, desperately trying to protect their daughter, Mark and Deborah took away Jasmine's laptop and told her that she needed to come home directly after school every single day. If you were ever young and in love, though, you know that love always finds a way. So, to make sure she was still able to communicate with Jeremy, Jasmine would skip class and go to the library so she could use their computers to talk with Jeremy. To absolutely no one's surprise, because of this, Jasmine's grades totally tanked. Um, She just couldn't understand how or why her parents were being so strict with her about this. Feeling backed into a corner with no other way around it, Jasmine and Jeremy hatch a plan to do the absolute unthinkable. They decide to kill her family so they can live together without harassment from her parents 
happily ever after. Here's what's crazy though. It was not Jeremy. It was not Jeremy who initially proposed the idea. It was Jasmine. On April 3rd, 2006, less than three weeks before the murders, Jeremy posted on his social media account, my lover's rents, he's saying rent for anyone that doesn't know that's short for parents, parent. So my lover's rents are totally unfair. They say they really care. They don't know what's going on. They just assume. Their throats I want to slit. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be my payment. End quote. Hello. Oh my God, right? Here's what screwed up though. Again, it was Jasmine who originally proposed the idea of killing her family, not Jeremy. So her, her original message to Jeremy said this. I have an idea. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you. Jeremy's response was this, quote, well, I love your plan, but we need to get more creative, like with the details and stuff, end quote. Here's what's crazy, though. Apparently, Jasmine told her friends about this plan, her plan to kill her family. Unfortunately, though, some of her friends thought she was joking and some just like straight up didn't believe her, just thought, you know, she's just mad and you know whatever she would never do something like that who would especially that at that age I don't think her friends were probably even prepared to understand that comment you know you know what I mean anyway okay so on April 22nd 2006 Jeremy goes to a friend's house there Jeremy his friend and his friend's girlfriend drank vodka drank wine snorted cocaine and took ecstasy. We know that Jeremy then attempted to get two of his friends to join in the killings with him, which they both refused. And can we just throw this out here? I'm don't get me wrong. I'm so glad they refused. But if you had a friend who was a bit unstable anyways, and they were solicitating, soliciting, solicitating, what's the word? <gasps> solicitating you, right? Let's go with that. Um, to kill someone, I'm glad that they said no, but wouldn't you notify someone? <laughs> like, I don't know. Anyways, when he realized that he could not talk anyone else into it, Jeremy decided to proceed with the plan solo. So on the night of Saturday, April 22nd, 2006, Jeremy entered the Richardson's home through an unlocked window in the basement. Unfortunately, he made enough noise that it woke up Deborah, who again is Jasmine's mom. She came downstairs to investigate the noise and was greeted by the blade of Jeremy's knife. He stabbed Deborah five times, killing her. Mark, Jasmine's dad and Deborah's husband, of course, not knowing what was going on, ran downstairs after hearing the screams and the struggle of his wife. At the bottom of the stairs in the basement was a workbench, so Mark grabbed the only protection he could find, which was a screwdriver. The screwdriver, of course, though, was no match against the knife and the element of surprise that Jeremy had. The two fought for several minutes, and Mark was actually able to stab Jeremy with the screwdriver once. 
In total, Mark was stabbed 23 times by Jeremy. And I've actually read different accounts of where Jasmine was at this point. I have read that she witnessed the murder of her mother and then ran upstairs while Jeremy was fighting with her dad. And then I've also read that she was upstairs for the entire time and did not witness either um, of the murders firsthand. So I'm not sure. And it seems like the articles I've read um, are about 50-50. So I really don't know which way to lean on this. But either way. We know for sure that while Jeremy was attacking Mark, Jasmine ran into her little brother Jacob's room and began to choke him. Once Jeremy had successfully killed both of her parents, he then went upstairs and joined Jasmine in little Jacob's room. At this point, Jasmine apparently had a small, teeny tiny shred of humanity left in her and told Jeremy that she was not sure that she could kill her little brother. He responded by telling her that it would be, quote, unquote, unfair to leave a little boy with no mom and no dad. So killing Jacob was the right thing to do. How sick is that? I guess that response was good enough for Jasmine and enough to change her mind. And despite Jacob pleading for his own life and saying he was too young to die, Jasmine stabbed her eight-year-old brother in the chest. Jeremy then slit his throat. When Jacob was found later by authorities, this little eight-year-old boy had a toy sword laying next to him that he had used to try and defend himself. That, to me, out of this entire story was the saddest part to hear. And it just goes to show the level of innocence in an eight-year-old. You know, that he thought this little Star Wars sword would stop this vicious attack. And to be at the hands of your own sister, I just, I can't even imagine the terror this sweet little boy went through that night. After the murders, Jeremy threw up and then left the house and returned to his trailer where he lived. Jasmine stayed behind to pack a bag, but soon after called a taxi and this taxi dropped her off at a nearby 7-Eleven. Once there, she walked from the 7-Eleven to Jeremy's trailer. Once they were both back at the trailer, Jeremy called his friend, a woman named Casey Lancaster, and asked Casey to start cleaning out his truck, which she apparently did. I guess, I don't know this to be fact, but I guess from the articles I've read, this Casey had a crush on Jeremy, and, you know, her attorneys said she would have done anything for him because she was, you know, in love with him. So, anyway, again, don't know that to be fact but that's what I read they then went to a friend's house and amongst other things had sex and went out to get food since you know killing three people I'm sure would make you very hungry disgusting the couple planned on leaving the area but for whatever reason they stayed in town until the next day to attend a party (laughs) like what these people were insane Witnesses at the party say that the two bragged to the rest of the partygoers about the murder, so it's not even like they were trying to cover it up. As per the investigation, authorities went to Jasmine's school so they could interview students, teachers, and just learn more about Jasmine as a person. They also searched her locker, and while they were there, 
they found a hand-drawn picture depicting her family being murdered that she had drawn. Apparently, it was after finding that picture that Jasmine was officially moved from victim to suspect. On April 24th, the pair, along with a few friends, drove 80 miles away to Calgary to, quote, start their new life, end quote. The couple rode in the back of the, like, the bed of the pickup truck. Eventually, though, they were caught. They had pulled over to, you know, do normal things, get gas, have sex, <laughs> like... And it was at this time that authorities noticed the vehicle, which, of course, had been reported to be on the lookout. Neither one showed a freaking ounce of remorse either. They were actually found cuddling and laughing in the back. Once apprehended, the couple were brought in and charged with three counts of murder. Per Canadian law, since Jasmine was under the age of 14, she could not be tried as an adult. Her trial was first, and on July 9, 2007, Jasmine was found guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. She is believed to be the youngest person in Canada ever to be convicted of multiple murders. Throughout the trial, Jasmine remained quiet and with her head down. I guess you could barely even hear her voice when she pled guilty to the murders. On November 8, 2007, Jasmine received the maximum sentence allowed by Canadian law for someone of her age, which was just, you ready for this? 10 years. In other words, this crime was committed in 2006 and she got 10 years. So I'm going to give you a second to figure that out in your head. Yes, you just did the math right. Jasmine is currently roaming free. She received 18 months of time served, then four years in a psychiatric hospital, and then four and a half years under supervision. The most interesting piece of news is yet to be shared, though. Get this. Per Canada's Youth Criminal Justice Act, if Jasmine kept her head down and stayed out of trouble for those 10 years, which she did, her record... Are you ready for this? Would be permanently expunged. For anyone who is not familiar with that term, expunged, it means that it would no longer be on her record. So, in other words, she literally got a fresh start. What are your thoughts about this? Of the folks I've spoken to, there seems to be a 50-50 split. 50% of the people are absolutely outraged that she would only get 10 years and even more outraged that a crime of this magnitude could possibly be expunged from her record. The other half says that she is just as much of a victim as her family that was murdered. I don't know, guys. What do you think? I would love to know your thoughts. Personally, I'm somewhere in the middle, but I probably lean closer to the folks that are shocked that she got off of such a light sentence. I feel this for a few reasons. One, I have a child, I know I've said this, but I have a child just a pinch younger than Jasmine was at the time of the crime. So I'm very, very familiar with this age group. In a million percent, a 12-year-old knows right from wrong. They know that killing is wrong. And we're not talking about killing a bug either. It was your family. 
I don't know, guys. Even if you were just so, so pissed at your parents that you couldn't even see straight, why'd you have to go and kill your little brother? I don't know. I really don't know. The whole story and the whole situation is just absolutely horrible. I'm sure Jasmine is haunted by what she did every single day. It is just crazy to think that she could change her name, move a thousand miles away, and start over like it never happened. I don't know. And then it makes you wonder, like, how many other Jasmines are out there? I don't want anyone pointing at their neighbors, but you know what I mean? Like... Who are our neighbors? No, I'm just kidding. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> but it seriously, it makes you wonder. Anyhow, okay. Um in or uh, yeah, in November 2008, 23-year-old Jeremy was tried and convicted of murder. Jeremy was a little more talkative during his trial though, and in fact, told the court one of the saddest things I have ever heard. When telling the court what happened that night, Jeremy said that Mark Richardson, who again is Jasmine's dad, took his last breath, turned to Jeremy and asked, why are you doing this? And are you ready for an absolute tearjerker? Jeremy responded by saying, this is what your daughter wanted. Beside little Jacob trying to defend himself with that plastic sword, this is the saddest part of the case. Anyways, um, oh my gosh, uh, here I go again. What is wrong with me in this new year? I felt myself getting choked up again. Oh my gosh, get with it, Lee. Uh, Jeremy was found guilty, and on December 15, 2008, he received three life sentences. Here's what is screwed up, though, for lack of a better term. He will be eligible for parole after just 25 years, which is when he turns 50 years old. Not to say he'll be granted parole, so it's not that he's definitely getting out when he's 50, but just the thought that he's actually eligible for it is scary enough in itself. Um... I don't know. Anyhow, since being convicted, he also changed his name to Jackson May. M-A-Y. I don't know what the significance of Jackson May is, but that's his new name. Um, as I stated earlier, on May 6, 2016, Jasmine Richardson completed her sentence in full. She was freed of any court-ordered conditions, restrictions, or supervisions. In other words, she is as free as any other Canadian citizen walking down the road. Casey Lancaster, who, remember, was Jeremy's friend who helped uh, clean up, was originally charged with the accessory to murder. The charge was eventually dropped, uh, but she was charged and did plead guilty to obstruction of justice. She received one-year house arrest and was ordered to refrain from drugs and alcohol. All right, guys, that is the end of this week's episode. Um, I never know what to say at the end here because I don't want to say I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that sounds a little twisted, but um, you know what I mean. I hope you liked it. I don't know. That's bad, too. Whatever. I hope you have a great week. How about that? <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. Have a great one.
Talk to you soon. Bye.